Hello, and welcome back to The Tenth Man. Uh, boy, it's been quite a week uh, since the last time I talked. Um, obviously going to be talking a little bit about COVID-19 again, and if you've been listening to the last couple episodes, I've been kind of evolving uh, through this whole process uh, in terms of the severity of it, and kind of piggybacking off of my you know, my last episode was about preparation is not panic, and uh, but uh, it's really starting to feel like panic is uh, appropriate uh, because the more you read and learn about what's going on, uh, it starts to look a little bit dire because it's not just the people that are dying or the, the people that could die as this virus continues to spread but it's the economic impact. I mean, the, the economy is crashing right now. Um, the, the Senate today was trying to put together a, uh, a bit, well, they're going to try to pass a vote tomorrow, but this was sort of a preemptive or whatever you want to call it, uh, bill um, putting it up for a vote basically. And uh, it didn't pass because Democrats are concerned that there's too much, uh, that the two lacks on uh, corporations and uh, corporate bailouts and things like that. So anyway, this was a $1.4 trillion emergency fund that was getting set up. Uh, so we'll have to see how that goes. Uh, it's going to get tweaked, I think, and tossed around a little bit in the Senate, and then maybe it'll maybe it'll go up for a vote again later in the week. I'm not sure, but uh, it's... Uh, it's definitely an unprecedented time and I uh, feel like we're in troubled waters right now. Um, I actually, uh, I had started recording earlier today and had a little bit more of a uh, rigid sort of outline in terms of the things I want to talk about. But just as the day's gone on, I've been watching some news and uh, reading a little bit about it online. I just, I don't really have... Uh, any anything I can add? I mean, I just don't feel um, qualified or uh, smart enough or knowledgeable enough to to say anything about this that hasn't already been said or understood. I mean, so you can certainly use Google if you if you don't know uh, what's going on or what the virus is about. Um, but, uh, you know, I've got a lot of thoughts on it. Uh, there's a lot of frustration, just the people, there's still a lot of people who uh, seem to think that this is just some kind of joke and are just uh, feeling inconvenienced by it. Um, uh, and, of course, we had the uh, another round of uh, primaries on Tuesday. And, you know, as, as you know, if you've listened, been listening to the show, I am a, a very strong Bernie Sanders supporter and unfortunately, Tuesday did not go well for him. He lost all the, I think it was three states, the three states that he did on Tuesday didn't do very well. And he's down to over a 300 delegate deficit behind Joe Biden in the race. He certainly could, mathematically, it's possible for him to overcome that deficit and and still win the nomination. But it's becoming much, much more unlikely that that's going to happen. And of course, that's politics has kind of taken a backseat to 
what's going on right now. I did. I was a little bit frustrated uh, with even from Bernie Sanders supporters on the on the Facebook page. There's a lot of people talking about that he needs to drop out and uh, we need to move move on from this and focus on this pandemic. And uh, while I agree that that certainly is. The pandemic is is priority right now, but I I, I reject this idea that he needs to uh, back out. That somehow uh, him still being in the race um, is uh, is somehow mutually exclusive or precludes the the ability to continue to respond as needed and as appropriate for for this uh, crisis. Um, if anything. He's not thinking about the can the campaign right now. Uh, he's got work to do in the Senate, and he's been very active on his page, uh, garnering support for uh, just an appropriate response. He's been very critical of Donald Trump, and he's also been able to raise uh, two million dollars this week from his supporters uh, instead of putting money into his Facebook ads. This is actually a thing like when shortly after. Um, Tuesday's election, uh, he had suspended his Facebook advertising campaign, and some people were speculating that that signaled the end of his campaign. But it was actually looks like now that he was suspending it because he wanted to redirect his efforts towards gaining uh, raising money for the relief efforts uh, as opposed to raising money for his campaign. So anyway, uh, it's. You know, it's kind of a feels like a somber time. Um, if this virus affects as many people as some think that it will, then you'll know somebody who's going to die. So that's kind of, um, you know, kind of a harrowing way to look at it. But uh, as I said before, if if sixty million people, which is how many people got the swine flu, if sixty million people contract this virus, COVID-19, you're looking at about 1.8 million people that are going to die. And, you know, so that's, uh, so anyway, it's, um, it does feel kind of somber and uh, dire. And, uh, you know, like I said, it's frustrating. Um, The the stuff with Bernie Sanders, uh, with people uh, talking about him needing to drop out and because he had a bad showing on Tuesday and you know the other the other part of it without without diving too deeply into politics, but just uh, it, it is relevant. You know, if if you watch the debate uh, between Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders last week on Sunday, they had a debate, and one of the things that came up was Medicare for all. And Bernie Sanders was trying to make the point that having Medicare for all would be very helpful right now. And uh, Joe Biden said that it has nothing to do with the coronavirus that if you, if you want Medicare for all, that's fine, but that's a separate issue and that this is an emergency we're talking about. And that's why we're putting together this emergency fund. But I think that that's, that's categorically false. I think it's absolutely, there's, there's absolutely a connection and it's relevant. If we had universal healthcare already, uh, it, it would make a huge difference in terms of the response. People wouldn't feel afraid of going to get checked out and, uh, you know, even more so, I mean, look at his other policies. 
if we had a $15 an hour minimum wage, you'd have less people living in poverty. You, If we had guaranteed paid sick leave for every worker, then we wouldn't have to put together this emergency package. And I think, you know, for me, the point is, is we don't have time. We don't have time for Congress to be arguing right now over the minutia of this potential bill. Uh, people's lives are at stake. The economy is at, at stake. I mean, hospitals are becoming overcrowded. There's not enough beds. There's not enough masks. There are respirators. There's not enough doctors and nurses. Um, it's it's just uh, it's overwhelming and um, I, I again I don't don't want to make it political but it's just you know people who have criticized Bernie Sanders for his socialism thinking that raising the minimum wage is socialism providing universal health care is socialism. Guaranteeing paid sick leave uh, is socialism. Making sure that women make the same as men is socialism. Uh, guaranteeing uh, paid uh, family leave time for new parents with their babies is socialism. Yet we have a crisis like this and we have to put together an emergency package to provide these things to people so that they can manage the crisis. Why don't we just have it already? Why do we have to have an emergency in order to provide these just very reasonable, basic, basic things? It's it's not, it's not radical. I mean, I, I, I know what you hear and people would have you believe, but it's really not, it's really not that hard. Um, and, you know, that gets into another thing that's, I hear a lot of uh, this whole, how would we pay for it? And uh, I mean, it's right there on his page. It's, it's, and he says it every time he goes to speak, every time he talks in a debate, every time he goes and gives a speech, it's, it's very cut and dry how, how we would pay for it. Um, one of the first things would be because we're cutting back on defense spending and I mean, we've already started that. We've already started doing that now. We're redirecting some of our defense spending towards this emergency uh, funding for hospitals and, and the medical field. Uh, so again, and, and there's a plethora of other ways. I'm not going to get into it too much. I just don't feel like, uh, I don't feel like continuing on with the political, uh, although, you know, uh, it's not, it's not, it is political and it isn't political. As Michael Moore said, everything is political. But uh, at the same time, I don't think of um, universal health care as a political issue. I think of it as a human issue and uh, just a basic uh, value issue of, you know, what, what do we value as a society, as a community? Do we care for our fellow brothers and sisters or do we just leave them out in the street? Is it every man, everyone for himself? And we seem to be just fine with taking government handouts, uh, so-called government handouts. They're not government handouts because they're paid into by us, the taxpayers. But uh, going by conventional wisdom, uh, these government handouts that we're going to be putting together in this emergency package, uh, we seem to have no problem accepting it now that we're in a crisis. But uh, people want to question how we're going to pay for it when times are good.
but I don't hear people questioning how we're going to pay for the next war. Um, or at least I don't hear those same people, the same people that question how we're going to pay for Medicare for all. I don't hear them questioning that. So yeah, obviously it's been uh, quite a different time. Uh, if, here in California now, we're at total lockdown, uh, shelter in place. Uh, it's not martial law, but it's it's starting to feel uh, closer to that because uh, governors given orders to stay indoors as much as is possible. Uh, you can go out to go grocery shopping, getting essentials and uh, medical emergencies, things like that. And then, of course, if you work in an emergency field, law enforcement, firefighters. And for me personally, uh, it's been it's definitely been interesting. Um, I am a I'm a stay at home dad during the day, and then I've got my radio and Coast Guard jobs. And as I mentioned in the last episode, uh, those are pretty much on hiatus right now because there's no events at the station, obviously, and uh, we're we've been ordered to, to stand down. Uh, the reservists are we're we're working from home basically right now. So my day to day has remained largely the same because I, I stay with my kids during the day anyway, but I'm not getting up and taking them to school in the morning. And, uh, and Zara stays at home now because she's working from home. It, it's, it's interesting. It's unprecedented, as I said. And uh, I know it's like that for everybody. Uh, my son, you know, he's, he's five years old. He came out the other night after he went to bed, he came, came back out and he said, I'm so bored. I don't know what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. And uh, I kind of, you know, it's kind of sad. I, it's hard to explain to a five-year-old what's going on, but it, it, they, they notice my five and three-year-old, they, they notice something's different. Um, I don't know if it's going to go back to how it used to be. I, I really don't. Uh, it's, it's very monumental what's going on. And, you know, as I said, I don't have anything. I'm mostly just checking in for uh, continuity's sake. I don't want to go weeks and weeks without talking. Um, Maybe I'll try to do a more uh, bright episode. This is kind of, this sounds kind of depressing, but sometimes I just want to uh, be honest and and uh, raw with with how I'm feeling. There are things. There are good things too, right? I mean, there's good things in my life. I don't want to sound like I'm just in a complete depressive mess, but it's very trying times right now, and it's very uncertain because we have uh, very very poor leadership in coming from the White House, and. I mean, it, Donald Trump just does something different every day to just embarrass himself and just disgrace the nation. I mean, he had a he had a chance the other day when Peter Alexander, a reporter for NBC, questioned him on uh, what he would say to people who are who are afraid, and he gave him an opportunity to to comfort, offer some hope, and instead, Trump just went off on uh, Peter Alexander, calling him a terrible reporter and uh, acting as if everybody's just fine. We're just, we're just looking for information and, you know, why the hell should Peter Alexander be putting out, putting that out there as if, as if he's, 
projecting fear to the country that wasn't already there, um, taking it upon himself as the president to say, no, no, nobody's afraid. They don't need to hear that. That's, that's the kind of leadership we have. And, and, and that's just depressing. Uh, it's depressing to me, uh, that that's, that's who, who's leading us right now. It's depressing that, uh, we could have had a much better head start in terms of our response to this. If uh, he wasn't saying four weeks ago that this wasn't a big deal and it was just going to pass and, and it'll be a miracle and everything will be fine. And uh, he, he's just, he's, he fails us every single day. And it, you know, it's frustrating that there are a number of people that still support him and they will support him until the bitter end, no matter what it is. Um, but yeah, I try not to think about that too much, but again, uh, in times like this, it's, it's critical and it makes a difference. It matters. Um, these are people's lives at stake. This is the economy at stake. It's healthcare, um, homeless population, older people, people who are uh, immune and compromised. Um, it's just all bad. And I, I, if, if I try to find a silver lining in this, it's that I hope that, um, it'll help people be a little bit more empathetic and, uh, yeah, I think I've covered all I want to say. Um, you know, I, this is kind of, this is, it's tough to talk about. And again, I, I don't feel qualified to really be talking about it at all in, uh, in terms of any kind of, uh, public forum or whatever. But uh, as I've said before, this is, uh, this podcast is for me more than anything. And if nobody else listens to it, that's just fine. Um, it's, it, it feels good and meaningful to get some of my thoughts out there, uh, out into the netherworld of the internet web space, uh, space force. <laughs> um, so I'm going to close with, um, actually, I'm just going to read something that I wrote a few days ago. And just because I think it kind of sums up some of my thoughts on this, and I've kind of been rambling for about 20 minutes now. Um, so uh, if you've already, if you're already friends with me on Facebook, if you've already read this, then feel free to sign off now if you don't want to hear me say it. But I just want to make sure, because this is a pretty good, I think I wrote a pretty eloquent little piece here and, and, and it gets my thoughts out on it. And uh, that way, if I've missed anything in my 20 minute spiel that I've given already, then I'll cover all my bases. Look, I'm a skeptic myself. I get it. I really do. When I first started hearing about the coronavirus, COVID-19, I didn't think much of it. I remembered Ebola and the H1N1 swine flu. I thought of all the other times that these extreme hysterical events were threatening to knock us off our feet, to rattle us, to turn our lives and society as we know it upside down. Y2K, uh, 2011, the rapture, 2012, the Mayan, end of the world. And this to me felt like that. So I get it. The skeptic in me is always questioning the truth of what I hear, even if what I'm hearing or reading buys into something that I already believe. 
Because I think one of the most important things we can do as citizens of a rational, just, and thriving society is to question, question facts, question beliefs, question assertions and accusations. But skepticism is not a get out of jail free card for real problems. Skepticism means you follow up on it, you look into it, you research the information, coming at it from multiple angles. To form an educated and sound stance, when you start to look at the numbers, the rate, the speed, the proportions, you start to notice something different about this particular strand of the coronavirus. It's spreading faster, and it's killing at a higher proportion than the seasonal flu. Yes, the flu kills a lot of people every year, a lot, as in tens of thousands, lot, and that's terrible. But the thing is, we have a vaccine for the flu. And yes, even when you get the vaccine, sometimes you still get sick. But the flu is contained in whatever way an ever-changing strain of disease can be contained. COVID nineteen has no vaccine. No one is immune, and it's killing three percent of the people who get it. Let me put it to you like this: You remember the swine flu, right? The CDC estimated there were approximately sixty point eight million cases of it in the United States in two thousand nine. Twelve thousand four hundred sixty-nine died. If sixty point eight million Americans contract the coronavirus, one million eight hundred twenty-four thousand people will die. And this is where I start to get mad. You know who those three percent are? Thankfully, they're not children. In fact, children, if they even are getting the disease, the disease at all, show no signs or symptoms. And young, healthy adults are typically safe too. You might get it, and it'll be kind of like having the flu, and you'll get better and move on. No, the ones who are most susceptible to succumbing to their illness are the elderly and immunodeficient. So great, right? Hey, the elderly are going to die soon anyway. So what's the big deal? When you say that out loud, it sounds absurd. But I can't tell you how many times I've heard it only kills the elderly and people who are already sick. Not saying those people aren't important, but it doesn't merit this kind of hysteria. But aren't you just saying that old people aren't that important? Because surely, if you valued their lives as much as the rest of us, you'd be doing anything in your power to make sure you don't transmit the disease, and if you do, that you won't expose it to someone who's more vulnerable to what you're carrying. These people are our parents, our grandparents, uncles and aunts, but they're also our sisters, our brothers, our friends. They're the cashier at the grocery store you always chat with. They're your neighbor down the street you wave to every day. They're teachers, doctors. They're everyone. You see a bigger picture here, outside of yourself. How many ventilators do you think we have? Do we have three hundred million? How many nurses? How many doctors? How many face masks? How many hospital beds do we have? How much food and water and shelter? What about the homeless population? People can't work. They can't support their businesses. The Dow Jones has lost a third of its value in just over a week. The ramifications for this emergency are huge. Like I said, I'm a skeptic, and I think it's good to have a healthy dose of skepticism to the. And that it makes you do more research to find the truth. A lot of stuff out there is nonsense, but crises do exist. We can't live in an idealistic view of the world we wish existed—a world where climate change isn't real, where women aren't earning seventy cents on the dollar compared to with men doing the same job, where thirty thousand people don't die of gun violence each year and fifty thousand don't commit suicide. But bad things do happen. Sometimes we need to take action. Sometimes we need to take drastic action. Are you ever wrong? 
You live your life thinking that in any given situation, any argument, that you're always right. Is that even possible? You need to accept in this life that some things are bad, some things are wrong, and some things can have potentially devastating results. So if it isn't too much to ask, try to stay home as much as you can. Listen to the doctors and nurses, the scientists who are trying to tell us what's best for the greater good. Operate under the assumption that you're already carrying the virus. Flatten the curve. I know it sucks. Your favorite bar is shut down. You can't go to your restaurant. The grocery store is out of your favorite cereal. But maybe everything isn't always about you. Maybe this happened to give us all a chance to work on our empathy, 